Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. All right, welcome to another week. I'm really excited this week to have uh, Dr. Orlina Carrick on the show. She's going to be a guest of ours. She just described herself um, as the doctor before you need doctors, <laughs> which I love. So we can talk a little bit more after um, after we kick off with this um, with this reading, with this blog post about um, what doctor means to you in terms of what you're what you've done in the past and what you're doing now. So I'm excited to share that with the listeners, but um, I'm just gonna dive in and talk about self-care today, which how cool that we just got to say doctor and self-care in the same sentence, (laughs) Um, because that is a place that I think is missing in a lot of physician practice. So I think that we live in a world where self-care is sold to us in bubble baths and pedicures and scented candles. And it's perfectly okay if your self-care includes these resources, but self-care is so much more. Self-care is speaking your truth, following your passions, living purposefully, quieting your mind, believing in yourself, I could go on for pages with all the avenues of self-care I believe we, especially as women, are looking and longing for. But let me step back for a moment to my own abortion. I did light candles, I held crystals, I watched Netflix, um, all in the hours of my abortion. But the self-care that made the most difference for me was in my mind. There are a list of things I chose to believe before, during and after my abortion. They were more nurturing than any comfort food, flowers, or back rubs that could have been provided. I wanna share some of those with you right now and in no particular order. So these are some of the beliefs that I adopted as a part of my self-care. What I want matters. There is no right decision. No matter what, there will be hard feelings to process. Nothing has gone wrong. I can do hard things. I need to be loved and accepted. Oh, let me start that over because it makes a really big difference in this sentence. I don't need to be loved and accepted by others. I need to be loved and accepted by myself. This is the time to have my own back. I can be gentle and kind to myself. I can choose with whom and how I share my story. I am worthy of receiving the love that surrounds me. I can be an example of what's possible. So these are just some of the thoughts that created feelings in me. Feelings of comfort, peace, calm, and hope. And from my feelings were born actions like stepping away from large groups, following my dreams, questioning my beliefs, choosing who to spend my time with, breathing, resting, shifting my perspective, receiving. 
Self-care starts in the mind. It's an inner game, and it's the place where the head and the heart connect, the place where they shake hands and embrace each other. Self-care is honoring the calling of the soul with the action of the brain. Without taking the time to choose what I wanted to believe about myself and my abortion, I would have been swept down a rabbit hole of old stories, other people's beliefs, and dark days of confusion and overwhelm. One of my very favorite things about self-care is its ripple effect. When one person chooses to take care of what she needs, everyone is rewarded with her courage. Every woman who nurtures her own soul is gifting a little more freedom and breathing room to the people around her. Uh, a few years back, I was introduced to an exercise. I don't know if you know this exercise, Erlina, but um, I want to describe it here super quickly and feel free to reach out to me for more detail. But you simply draw a circle in the middle of a paper and you imagine that circle you have a full cup, your self-care needs are met, you're getting the time you need, the sleep you need, the nutrition you need, um, maybe it's meditation or exercise, but you, your self-care is at its peak performance. And then you draw another circle around that. And in that circle, you draw the names of the people closest to you. Maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your partner, maybe it's your best friend or your roommate, and then you kind of look at when your self-care in the middle of that circle is being met, how does it ripple out to that layer of people who are closest to you? Well, how do their actions and beliefs and feelings and um, how does their life experience change when your cup is full from the center? And then you draw another circle around that and you kind of go out one more layer and go out to your community or your employers, like your employment situation or your network or your um, whatever your mentors are, but that next layer of people who aren't super intimate to you. When your self-care is full in the middle and you've rippled it out to the people closest to you and then you ripple it out one more layer, how does it keep impacting? And then you can ripple out another layer. How does you being healthy and cared for and nurtured affect each of those layers of people in your life. And you start to see that if I'm taking care of me and my partner is then getting the reward of that, and then that partner is rippling out to the next layer of people in their life, and you get this beautiful visual of um, the effect of self-care. And I just love that exercise. I love doing it and I love seeing it. So in closing here, um, whether your abortion is scheduled for next week or is a piece of your past, there are a few important questions I wanna encourage you to ask yourself. One of my favorite self-care tools is journaling, but you can reflect on these questions in whatever way it feels right to you. So the questions are, what do I want to believe about myself? What do I want to believe about my abortion? What do I want to believe about my future? And if you're feeling stuck along the way, remember that's, that what's mine is also yours. I invite you to borrow some, of, some or all of my beliefs. 
I share them here with you because we have more in common than we do apart. We're here to learn from and with each other, and that includes a whole lot of sharing. And that's the end of my blog post. <laughs> so let's talk about self-care. <laughs> um, again, welcome to the show. Do you want to give an introduction to yourself and um, what you've done in your past and how you're doing what you're doing now and some like maybe a little quick snippet of what self-care means to you? Okay, well, thank you. Thank you very much. And that was really, really beautiful. And I was very, very touched. And I agree 100% with everything that you said. So, hey, let's stop the podcast now. No, I'm joking. <laughs> right? We can just close that now. We're in agreement. <laughs> go visit her website. Go visit my website. Game over. <laughs> so, I'm Dr. Alina Kerrick. And as you may tell from my accent, I'm from the United Kingdom. Um, but I actually moved to Spain eight years ago. At the time, I had two children. And now I have four children because number three turned out to be number three and number four. Oh, hello. Yes. And when I was in the UK, I was working as a physician, a pediatrician, and I had this great idea that I would move to Spain and carry on my career, but it didn't quite work out like that. To cut a very, very long story short, I stopped being a clinical physician and started moving online and doing stuff online whilst also having four young children. So my self-care journey was really having four young children close together in age so they're now 11 mm -hmm. 9 and my twins are seven ah. so at some stage they were four oh my goodness i can't work this out four two and zero or something like that Ooh. and also i struggled with the whole losing my career i joked that i lost my career and now i'm out of that and i can laugh about it but at the time it was this huge emotional turmoil and one of the things that you touched on was this idea of you know, our inner journey. And I think for me, that was really my self-care journey. I think as mothers, you mentioned women, and I agree with you, but I think mothers particularly have a really big struggle with self-care because when we have a baby, we're so used to giving all of our energy and all of our attention to that baby because let's face it, that baby needs our attention 24 seven. I didn't have anyone to help me. Well, my husband, but I didn't have someone who would, you know, I could get a weekend off or something like that. And we just get used to giving, 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 and we normally put our own needs at the bottom. And I see this so often with so many people. And I think it takes a big concerted effort. And normally that effort might be thrust upon us. So for me, it was really my husband became unwell um, mm. with a stress-related illness. And I think that stress was in large part because of the children. My children are highly strung. I think all children are highly strung, aren't they? I don't know of any relaxed, meditating children. <laughs> they just read books in color all day long. <laughs> Minder. <laughs> then when you have four, you talked about this ripple effect, and I agree with that entirely. I like to talk about it as a positive spiral or a negative spiral. And you know what it's like when you have children and they poke one another, and then they poke and somebody else says something mean, like you smell or something like that. And then suddenly you've got four children who are screaming and yelling, and you can see how that creates stress but, and we feel powerless to sort it out. And we don't want to yell at our kids, but that's often what we end up doing. And then you get this negative spiral. Whereas really what you want is this positive spiral, which you basically described as the ripple effect, where you're sat there, you know, you've got your bucket full, your batteries are charged, and then you can help your children with those big emotions. And it takes a lot of work. It's not something that happens 
in a day or two days. But that was my personal journey. And now I help people who are going through a similar journey, often with weight loss, which we talked about before. And, and that's a similar internal journey combined with nutrition as well, I think. Yeah. So in the case of your situation with your husband, it's like, if your cup is full and you can meet your own needs and you can help your children work through their growth experiences, it doesn't then ripple the stress to your husband. Like, you know, you had that kind of, well, like you're saying the negative spiral, right? Or the negative ripple. <laughs> yes. In that well, case, like it's such an obvious example of how you now hit him filling his cup would have done wonders too. But like in the example of being a mother, like you filling your cup and being able to meet your kids' needs and meet them where they're at creates immediately less stress in the house. Yes, definitely. And also I think for those children as well, one of the things I think, I used to do quite a lot of work with picky eating and that interestingly goes hand in hand with anxiety. So children who are very picky often have anxiety. And I basically got to the stage where I realized that a lot of families were struggling and the mothers weren't eating very well. And it's kind of impossible to teach your children to eat healthy because underneath it's about healthy eating, or at least it was for me. Yeah. And I think the same is true with your emotions and your happiness, that you can't really teach your children these things that we want to teach us unless we're really demonstrating it ourselves. And one of the, mm. my favorite quotes is, the best thing you can give your children is your own happiness. Yeah. And sometimes I think we need permission to do that and go, okay, so whatever it is I have to do, whether it's meditation or exercising or working out, how to lose weight or eat healthily, I have to give myself permission to do that. And it's okay to leave my children. Okay, we need to make arrangements for our children. I'm not talking about leaving them unattended, but that I can take time away and I can nurture myself and look after myself. And as you say, that basically means that my child is gonna grow up in a much happier environment and I can deal with their stress and their anxieties. And you've just modeled for them what it means to take care of yourself, right? You're exactly, yes, exactly. self-care for them. I think it's really interesting how you bring up the anxiety and the picky eating. I actually do have a picky eater who has a lot of anxiety. And um, in Chinese medicine, like the stomach is connected to anxiety and worry and overwhelm. Um, and so that's a really interesting connection. I had never really, until hearing you say picky eater and anxiety, I never put, put that together, but knowing. Yeah, I think a lot of it, it, I mean, picky, picky eating is a spectrum in that some people will say, oh, my child doesn't like, I don't know, broccoli and they're a picky eater, but working. And then there's the other extreme where they only eat three or four things. So it is a big extreme. And the children that I was working with and my own children, two of my children, have very quite narrow diets and luckily they do get bigger if you do the right kind of thing but I think it is a control thing a lot of it yeah, is about yeah, absolutely and that they have this idea of I'm gonna sit down and it's gonna be like this and it's not like that and they don't have the capacity to deal with that that I don't know, that's not how it wasness. And also, they then create these thoughts. Now, you were talking about thoughts, and that's a really interesting topic that you talked about, thoughts, creating emotions, creating actions. But sometimes, and children are so interesting when you look at children. I know it's really frustrating when you have a picky child. But when you have this idea of thoughts, and you look at your picky child, who is point blank refusing to try anything because it's disgusting, and you're like, 
but you've never ever tried this. So how do you know it's disgusting? And that thought to them is like a wall. Okay, so your child is say four or five or six. Think about in 30 years time when you have been thinking that thought for so long and our thoughts are so ingrained in us. Yeah. We just take these as the truth and they start really, really young. Mushrooms are disgusting fact by my three-year-old, despite <laughs> never having tried them. And you can see how our thoughts just really, really affect the way we turn up in life. And it's just incredible. I love watching my children, or even though I'm super frustrated at the time, but just watching them go, it is incredible that you just can't shift from this idea of whatever food it is being disgusting. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. And I think you brought up an interesting thing about how we create patterns in our life. Sometimes we create them in childhood, but I think also we create them in big life experiences. Or it's, it's patterns, but it's also like you seal in these beliefs, right? Like mushrooms are disgusting. Like you seal it in when you're three and it creates a tantrum at the table. And then it's not even worth ever revisiting because like, you're just like holding that belief so strongly. But what I think is interesting is um, there's a lot of beliefs and unprocessed feelings and thoughts that women have around abortion. And then they think, I'm just gonna move on and I'm never gonna go back there. Or they think I'm fine and I'm never gonna go back there. Or I don't wanna look at that again. But it really, because of the nature of it being a big event for people, for some, and for some people, it's not a big event, and that's fine too. But for a lot of women, they seal in these beliefs in that time if they're not nurturing themselves or in an environment of self care or like care from others. They seal in thoughts like, I'm broken, I made a mistake, I screwed this up. Like, and because of the nature of it being a significant event, those thoughts like I'm broken, I screwed this up, I make mistakes, pop up later in their life. Um, because it doesn't matter if it's mushrooms <laughs> or um, decisions about how to move forward with your life. Like you're, we are always training our brains to believe new things. And so if we don't untrain our brains or retrain our brains to believe different things, it just keeps going on the path that like mushrooms are disgusting or I am broken. Um, yes, I agree. And I think the key is really, because you talked about big events and I think the key is emotions here. And I think it's when you have those big emotions. So if we think about mushrooms, often children have this a thing called a disgust reaction. So if something has happened, they have a disgust reaction, which is an emotion. And for when you're talking about emotions now, so when you have your abortion and your thoughts and your emotions, and then you have these emotions. So when we talk about thoughts, what I like to talk about is a, a circle. And different people have different ways of thinking about this. But as you were saying earlier, you have a thought and your thought creates your emotion. So the thought might be, I'm not worthy. And then, well, how do you feel? You don't feel great when you think that thought. And then you have an action. And that action often reinforces the original thought. Absolutely. And you go around in this negative spiral. And it can be interesting as to where you can break that spiral. So one of the things you can work on is thoughts. And one thing you can work on is emotions as well. And we can generate emotions. 
And our emotions come from within us, although often we are looking for external control of emotions. So often in a relationship, we might be looking for somebody to fix us or to provide us with that feeling of love. But really and truly, we need to learn to feel, to, to be in control, not in control in a rigid way, but of our own emotions. I like the analogy of if you're going down a river, for example, and the river is a winding, rushing river, and you don't have a raft. So you're basically thrown from one side to the other side to the other side. And that's you and your emotional life without any, any control at all. Whereas if you build a raft, the emotions are still gonna happen. But once you're aware of those emotions, and you can go, ah, hello fear, I hear you again, you're here. And you can't, it's kind of like Pandora's box. You can't make that emotion disappear. And really that isn't the goal to make the emotion disappear. We want to feel the good emotions and the bad emotions. Mm -hmm. But what we don't want to do is get caught in that spiral, that whirlpool of constantly feeling that bad emotion. So that then we're going round and round that, that circle again, the thought, the feeling, the thought, the feeling and never spiraling out, never giving ourselves permission to feel the good emotions, the joy, the happiness. So I think that's a really yeah. interesting yeah. way of looking at it. I think there's so much power in choosing, even in like consciously choosing even those negative emotions. And we'll take like sadness after abortion. It's like, I'm not feeling sad because this thing happened to me. I'm, I'm choosing to be sad because this is like, you know, this was the potential for a life, right? Or this was my baby, or maybe it was later and you'd already loved and bonded with that baby. Who knows when your abortion was? But like, I think there's a lot of power in like even fear, right? I'm choosing fear because I'm stepping outside my comfort zone, because I'm on a podcast about abortion, because I'm deciding to try a new food, because I'm learning how to drive, right? Like to take back the power of even feeling those things like fear or anger or sadness or, um, and recognize that like you do have control, right? It is, you do get to choose. Now also life happens and things happen to you that create, you know, experiences happen to you that create more of one emotion or another like sadness and the loss of life or something. Um, but to recognize and really take back your power of your emotions and like get to know where they are in your body and what they feel like and what they create and how you can shift them just a little bit. In my world, we talk about ladder thoughts. So it's like, instead of going from I am sad to I am happy, it's like the latter thought might be someday I'll be happy again, right? Like if you're sad, and you want to believe I am happy, you can't just jump over there. You got to like take a step in that direction, which is someday I'll be happy again. Or other people have found happiness after their whatever experience. So um, it is all very interesting how our emotions function in our body and our lives. And then I think, and I don't know if you did this work as well as a pediatrician, it might've been even a little bit different, but if you've studied at all the physical effects of emotions on the, on the body, right? And yeah, like, and what happens? <laughs> well, it is interesting. And, it, you know, we were talking earlier about lots of different emotions. And there are lots of different emotions. Like, you know, you can name however many different mm -hmm. emotions. And I think we have 
the ability to um, to create emotions, if that makes sense, but you know, to name them in flowery names. But I actually think there's another way of looking at emotions, and that is looking at emotions just on a continuum, so that you've got happiness and wellness and positive things here on one line, and then stress and anger and other things, you know, negative emotions, and that somewhere in between you've got not neutral, but you know, those ones that aren't quite as extreme as happiness and joy and elation. Yeah. And on one end, we've got the, like the anger, the stress response. We know that's got a huge you know, physiological response and that as a society, we are often living in that physiological response, which is the flight, flight, ugh, I can't say that quickly, flight, fight or freeze response. And we know that that you know, increases our stress hormones, cortisol. You know, and if you're thinking about weight loss, which is what I do, we know that if you give people cortisol as a, or a steroid as a drug for whatever illness they have, something like arthritis or asthma, that they tend to put on weight. So if you've got that stress hormone constantly triggered, it's gonna help you put on weight, which you don't want, but also it has so many other negative effects on our body and health effects as well. It affects your immune system. It affects so many things. And then at the other end of happiness and joy, we know that our heart rate goes down, our blood pressure goes down, and these are all positive things. Yeah. And you know, this, these, these effects are well documented. And you, know, you were talking about physicians. I think um, that the medical world is probably lagging a little bit behind in, I think probably because of just time and energy, that they just don't have the capacity to do all the things but that you know people are beginning to see now that we can practice these things and avoid illnesses and disease and really if we live a healthy life then you know we feel amazing and we're healthy and that's really the most important thing yeah i love those charts and i the ones i'm imagining are shaped sort of like cones and you can chart all the emotions at like the vibration that they create in the body. And there's like those studies where um, if you like look closely at a tier, the tier of happiness has a completely different like composition, almost like a snowflake. Like if you look at it, like it literally is this tier from the same human body looks different under a microscope if it's a happy tier versus a sad tier or a scared tier that like, there's an actual vibration that happens in our body. And you can look at those charts and see like what vibrational level all the emotions like sit at, ride at, wave at. I don't know what the word is. <laughs> um, but that there is literal evidence that these emotions create a change in our structure. Like they actually change the structure of our tears. Just, yeah, just, no, it's interesting. I'm reading, I love Joe Dispender's work and I'm yes. reading his book at the moment and he talks a lot about epigenics, which is the ability to change not your DNA, but the expression of your DNA. Yes. So you might have a gene that, for example, say your grandparents had heart disease and we kind of previously thought, oh my goodness, that means that you know, you're bound to get it. Well, that doesn't mean you're bound to get it it means that you have the possibility of getting it. And one of the things you can do is turn that gene on or off. It's a bit like a printer. 
that's printing out proteins rather than printing out bits of paper. But if you think about a, a printer, it can clearly print out a blue square or a red square, and so can our, our bodies print out different proteins. And that's one of the things that um, is affected by, you know, whether you do meditation and you feel joy and happiness, or whether you are constantly living in a state of stress, which, you know, we do just on silly mundane things. So for example, we have so many zebra crossings here in Spain, that people hardly ever look when you cross the road, <laughs> which means you might quite frequently feel like you're nearly going to get run over, which is clearly not a pleasant experience, but it, it's normally more that person should have stopped for me and they didn't. And that will happen on a daily, a daily occurrence here. And you think, but what's really happening there is I'm getting stressed and triggered by somebody who's just going about their day. They're not giving me any harm. It's not worth me taking on that stress because it does affect me. It does turn on the stress reaction. And I don't want that stress reaction turned on. It's fine when you think you're being chased by a tiger, but that wasn't being chased by a tiger. So now just stop it and, and move on. Yeah, yeah. And I talk a lot about how our abortions or any life experience that is of a more, you know, more intense scale um, are an opportunity to practice and to learn about those feelings, like to practice feeling that anger and shifting it and rewiring your brain around it. And like, it's, it's an experience that creates a lot of emotions, which means it's an opportunity to process a lot of emotions. And that like you, like what you just said about the heart disease, like you can let that experience be something that does like literally trigger changes in the way your DNA is functioning. You can also use it as an opportunity to practice like learning how to lower your blood pressure and learning how to like, chill out your anger and learning how to um, let go of your resentment or whatever the things are. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think it's really interesting because whatever your thing is, whatever your trigger is, we've had a lot of practice at that. So you're perfectly right in that once we become aware that we want to change it, hey, we've got a lot of opportunity to practice it. So for me, it's my children and they're mm, constantly yeah. screaming and shouting and how can I turn up in a positive, helpful way to stop them from fighting with each other? And yeah, I get to practice that most days. <laughs> we surely do. Oh, I saw a great quote this morning. I'm not going to remember it. Um, and it was about overwhelm and how overwhelm is like, it's, it's an opportunity for expansion. Like if your, your capacity for overwhelm is just like widening your capacity to grow and change and like practice. Right? This is like an opportunity. Our children are a great opportunity to practice yeah. all of the things. Do you um, read Dr. Shafali's work at all? No, I haven't. Dr. Dr. Shafali wrote The Conscious Parent and a lot of other things, but um, she talks a lot about how our children, and I believe this about our experiences too, not just our children, but come into our lives to teach us what we need to learn, right? And I believe that, I believe that about um, my, the child who I had through, like, who I chose to abort as much as I do my other children who are here to teach me things. Um, yes, no. And I think you're absolutely right. And on a more sort of, like, I love woo-woo things, but on a less woo-woo thing, like, if you think about that from a more, I can't quite think of the word, but if you have an experience like that and it doesn't 
create a reaction with you, then you just move on and you don't even notice it's there. So the things that are learning points are the things that you get stumbled upon. Mm-hmm. Because it could be that for me, I talk about my children and they're, they're being highly strung. But if I had had four children who were calm and there are other children who are more relaxed, then it wouldn't have been the learning opportunity for me, but then something else might have made it. I totally agree. An opportunity for me to learn about whatever it is I need to learn about or want to learn about. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to learn in this big wide life we're living. And thank you for hopping on today and talking about some of it, little pieces of it. So I will share a link to your website. Is there anything else you want to share that you feel like would be important for listeners to hear today? No, only that I think when we talk about self-care and you mentioned all the areas of self-care, I talk about the four pillars. So nutrition, exercise, sleep. Sleep is super, super important. So please prioritize your sleep. And I know it's really difficult for mothers of children, um, young children, but please prioritize your sleep. And then this area that we've been talking about, the emotions, the stress. And I think that is really the biggest bit. Well, not for everybody, but it's one of the underdeveloped areas that we don't always think about automatically we always think about nutrition and exercise and now people are beginning to think about sleep but this huge area of emotions and becoming self-aware and understanding our emotions and meditation and it's really super interesting and it's and it gives you amazing abilities to change your life as well absolutely well thank you so much and um perhaps some listeners will be in touch with you but I'm really glad we have this conversation documented on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. And as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.